Welcome to this week's Rashi Shir, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. And we start in Perik Yud Aleph Pasuk Hay, in the middle of the Pasuk where we left last week. But before we get to the comment of Rashi, um, I gave you homework last week. Where do we see in Parshat Vayeshev that Rashi doesn't understand sarcasm as we do? So, it was in Perik Lamad Zion Pasuk Kaf. If you look at Perik Lamad Zion Pasuk Kaf, this is by way of introduction to what we're about to do in a, in a roundabout way. The brothers, see, the brothers of Yosef see Yosef coming. And the Pasuk says, Come, let's kill him. And we'll throw him into one of the pits. And we will say that a wild animal ate him. And now here comes the point. And we will see what will be of his dreams. Now, when we say read that, I don't think we have a problem with that. Because the brothers are saying, we'll kill him, and then we'll see, you know, with a slight chuckle, what will come of his dreams. That, that's no problem understanding that. But Rashi says, This Pasuk cries out, expound me. Ruach HaKodesh Omeret came. It must be Ruach HaKodesh, HaKodesh Baruch as it were, saying that last bit. Heim Omrim They said, we'll kill him. The Hakatuv Masayem, and that the Pasuk concludes in the words of the Ruach HaKodesh, We'll see whose words will be established. Or Shalachem, or Shali. Your words, or my words, says Hashem. And here comes the point. And it's impossible that the brothers were the ones who said, We will see what become of his dreams. Because once they've killed him, obviously, I'm adding that word, his dreams have been cancelled. So says Rashi, it doesn't make sense to say the brothers are saying, we'll kill him and we'll see what will become of his dreams. So I think that Rashi does not understand sarcasm as we do. And after all, sarcasm is a funny thing. You know, you say precisely the opposite of what you mean. And Rashi doesn't entertain that the Torah is speaking in such a voice. Now, why do I say that? Because in Pasuk Hay, Rashi makes a joke. It's not R-O-F-L. Did I get that right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Thank you. Um, but nevertheless, it's a little bit funny. Um, and I'm not quite sure why he says it in this way. He, gets, he copies the words of the Midrash, but that doesn't answer the question because he chooses to copy the words of the Midrash. And the joke is as follows. In the Pasuk, it says, Vayered, Pasuk Yud Aleph Hay, Hashem descended, we talked about that last week, to see the city and the tower which the Bnei Adam, literally the children of men, had built. And Rashi says on Bnei HaAdam, Eila Bnei Mi, but rather the children of whom? Shema Bnei Chamorim, the Gamalim, are they the children of donkeys and camels? That was a joke. I didn't promise you too much. But um, I'm not quite sure why Rashi has to spell it out like that. I I was wondering if he could have made the same point in a simpler fashion. The point, obviously, is B'nai Ha'adam is superfluous because the children of, of men obviously have built the tower. It has not been the children of donkeys or camels. It must be the It must be people. So why doesn't it just say the tower which they have built? That would have worked. 
or the tower which people have built. Why B'nai Ha'adam? So Rashi spells out the question in this, I think, slightly colourful manner. And the answer is, Ela B'nai Adam Harishon. But they are rather the children of Adam Harishon. It doesn't mean mankind, it means Adam, the person. Why are they the children of Adam Harishon? Shekafa et hatova. He denied the good. He was ungrateful. What we abbreviate is kifui tova, as opposed to makir tov. He didn't recognize the good. He denied the good. When did he deny the good? Va'amar, and he said, Ha'isha asher natata imadi, the woman whom you gave with me. So when Hashem said, why did you sin? Why did you eat from the fruit of the tree? He said, aha, it was the woman whom you gave me. He didn't just, say it was the, didn't just blame the wife and say it was the woman's fault. He said, it was your fault because you gave me this woman as a wife and she told me to eat the fruit, etc., etc. Ignoring the fact that the giving of the woman to the man was the most wonderful bracha and something he should be very grateful to a Kaddish Baruch Hu for. So he showed kifui tova, a denial of good, uh, what we would call a lack of gratitude at that point. So the people who are building the tower, and we know they're building the tower in one way or another to fight HaKadosh Baruch Hu, because we said that in Pasuk Aleph, they are also kifui tova. Why? Af elu kafut patova, they also denied the good. Limrod, they rebelled b'misha hashpi'am tova against the one who had um, poured good on them, who had given them good. Umaltam min hamabul, and save them from the flood. Okay, so, what's Rashi's question? Why does it say b'nei ha'adam? It's obviously the children of mankind. That's, we don't need to be told that. So, and the answer is, it's not the children of mankind. It's the children of Adam himself. The children of Adam himself. Why are they the children of Adam himself? Because they're children in the sense of, they reflect his midah, his personality, his attribute. The attribute of kifui tova, of being ungrateful. Adam was ungrateful for uh, Chava, and they are ungrateful for being saved from the flood. I think perhaps, I'm just thinking as I say this, that perhaps we can go a little bit further. Adam said, the, um, the thing that you gave me is actually the cause of something bad. I wonder if the people here are saying the thing that you gave me, which Rashi identifies as being saved from the flood, is the cause of something bad. No, maybe, maybe we can't go there, but it's just worth exploring. Now, uh, before you go, how did he save them from the flood? How did he save them from the flood? So the people here are the descendants of Noah. How are they saved from the flood? Through Noah. Through Noah, by doing what? Teva. Building the Teva. Now that is possible, but there are those who explain it in somewhat more um, uh, different fashion. If you look at Perak Hay Posak Lamad Bet. If you look at Perak Hay Posak Lamad Bet. Where it says... Noach was 500 years old when he had his children, which we all admit is pushing on a bit, especially compared to the others of that time who had their children much earlier. Why did he have wait until he was 500 years old? Says Rashi there on Lamad Bet, uh, not at the very beginning, if Noah has children younger, like more, at least 100 years before the flood, 
and they turn out to be Rashaim, then obviously they'll be killed in the flood. But if they're Tzadikim, then he'll oblige Noah to make lots of Tevat in order to save his many children and descendants. So what did Hashem do to avoid that happening? He stopped Noah having children until he was 500 years old. So that there would only be a small number of children by the time the flood came, i.e. three, and no grandchildren by the time the flood came, and therefore they could be saved in the Teva. So someone to say, what Rashi is referring to, someone almost counterintuitively, he saved them, Hashem saved them from the flood by not letting them be born too early. Had Noah's children been born earlier, then either they would have died if they were wicked uh, in the flood. Uh, Noah's children didn't have that dilemma, by the way, because they were under 100 at the time of the flood. Yes, the oldest one was 100. The next one was, the youngest one was 98, or maybe there was another one, it's not clear. Um, and what's the significance of 100? Because that, according to Shemaim, you're not liable for your sins until 100. Rashi explained there. So either way, if they are wicked, they didn't get killed in the flood because they weren't judged as uh, liable. And if they were good, then it would have been harder to save them in the flood. It doesn't say it wouldn't have happened, but it would have been harder to save them in the flood. So that is the opinion of the muscular David, who says that that's how Hashem saved them in the flood. He didn't let Noah have them too early because then the wicked ones would have been punished. Uh, you were first. Yes. Do you think Rashi understands um, it's a specific Adam Arishon from the B'nai Ha'adam, the Hay, rather than just B'nai Adam? Is that the times in Torah we normally just say B'nai Adam? Um, I hear your question. I don't know. Okay? Could be. But uh, it, I, uh, I think perhaps not because he doesn't say so. Because he says by that camels and donkeys bit is the whole B'nai Adam is superfluous. Uh, he's not just saying the hay is superfluous. Oh, okay. Yes? It, you sort of answered it. it. Would Rashi have preferred there's no, no B'nai Adam meaning the, the pronoun attached to the B'nai Yeah, I'm, it's, okay. It, it's, it, you're so asking like, a similar question. Has Adam come up before and then, like, he's challenging that language is the reference to Like we've had not Yes, we have Benatadam. That's very true. Um, I, I have to say, I don't know. It could be he's objecting to Benay. It could be objecting to Hay. It could be objecting to Benay Ha'adam. Objecting in the sense of we could have managed without. It seems to me that we could have managed without it altogether. We could have just said which they had built. Asher Haim Banu. Or Asher Banu would have worked. See the tower which they had built. That would have worked in, in Hebrew. Okay. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know. Pasuk Vav. Vayomer Hashem hein am echad. Hashem said, behold, they are one people, the safa echad lekulam, and one language to all of them. V'zeh hachilam la'asot. Um, Rashi's going to explain hachilam, which is a little bit of an odd grammatical form. It's something to do with beginning la'asot to do. And then he says, v'atal and now, lo will it not be held back from them, kol asher yazmu la'asot, all that they plan to do. Okay, there's a few things to explain, as Rashi will explain. So first of all, heim am echad. What does it mean, heim a echad? Behold, they are one people. In other words, what is the one people and one language to do with what they have done? Why does, Hashem is obviously bothered by building the tower. And in the second part of the Pasuk, he says, uh, and I'm, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, that he won't let them do it. So the preface is, Hein Amechad Echad Lukulam. 
Why is that the preface to saying they shouldn't be allowed to build this tower? So Rashi answers it like this. Hein amichad, kol tova zu yesh imahem. They have all of this good, all of this bounty. Sha'am echad heim, v'safa echad l'kulam. They are one people and they have one language. V'davar zeh hachilu la'asot. And this thing they have begun to do. So it sounds like Rashi is saying, look, they've got all this goodness. There's two ways of reading this, Rashi. I think the more obvious one is this. They've got all this goodness, and yet, I'm adding the word yet, yet they're now doing bad things. So rather than appreciate the goodness that they've got, they're fighting HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and that's bad. And that is borne out by the Hain. Hain is behold. So it must introduce something which um, is worth pointing out. So it's worth pointing out that they are one people uh, and they've got one language. And Rashi says that's a good thing. And I'm adding the word yet they're now going to do something bad. Now, you could read Rashi. I, I, I think it's harder. But to say it's because of their having one language and being one people that they're able to do this thing, which, of course, sets us up for Hashem taking away their unique language and mixing up their languages, and that stops them building the thing. But I don't really think that's what Rashi's saying. I just introduced that as a possibility, but I'm going to knock it down. So let's stick with the first possibility that Rashi is saying, Kol tova zu they have all this goodness, and yet they're doing a bad thing. Now, the word hachilam. What does hachilam mean? Why is it a problem? Anyone? Shrug shoulders. For those listening on the tape, somebody just shrugged their shoulders. Um, okay. Well, how would you translate it? Maybe I should have asked that question. Ah, okay. Okay. The problem is the men. Okay? Because la hachil, la hachil is to begin. Chet lamad. The real root is be chet lamad hay, and sometimes you drop the hay. But where does the mem come from? So Rashi says, Hakilam, Kamo Amram Asotam, like you find the words Amram, which is something to do with Amar with a mem on the end, and Asa with a tough mem on the end. Says Rashi, it means Lahatchil Haim La Asot. To begin, they are to do. They are doing. In other words, and I'll, this comes straight to the point, it means they're beginning. And the mem stands for Haim, which is a subject, as opposed to what you might have thought. You might have thought it's a contraction of Otam, which would be an object. So sometimes you find um, an object, the word Otam, them, contracted into Mem. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of a good... Ukatavtem. Yeah, Ukatavtem. You shall write them. But it, therefore, you might think this means hachilam, you show to begin them. But that doesn't actually make sense. And Rashi spells out the hachil haim la'asod. He replaces the mem by its full expansion of haim, which is the subject they, as opposed to otam, them, the object. So uh, hachilam means their beginning. Like amram means their saying, asotam, their doing. And then Rashi says on the words, Lo yibatser mehem. What does that mean? It says Rashi, Lo yibatser mehem la'asot, bitmiya. Okay, it means it's a question. A rhetorical question, but a question. It means, shall they not be held back from all that they plan to do? And the answer, of course, is, well, 
I put a negative there, is they shall be held back from what they plan to do. I, Hashem, will stop them doing it. So shall I stop them doing it? It's not quite what it says. I'm paraphrasing slightly. Shall I stop them doing it? Yes, I shall stop them doing it. Now, how else might you have read it? You might read it as without the making it into a question and rhetorical question. How could you read it if it's not a question? And now I won't stop them. And now, lo yuvat say, they will not be stopped. They will not be stopped from doing that actually would be a reasonable way to read it were it not for the major theological problem. And now, i.e., because of what's happened so far, they won't be stopped from doing what they plan to do. What's the major theological problem there? Of course, HaKadosh Baruch Hu can stop them doing it. So there's no way that Hashem would say, now it's too late, now I can't stop them, because Hashem could always stop them. So that perhaps is why Rashi rejects that interpretation, because it doesn't make sense that Hashem can't stop them. So he says, Bitmiah, this is a, inter- a rhetorical question. Can it be that they can't be stopped? No, they can be stopped. And then he says, Yibatser is a word you might not be familiar with. Lashon menia. It's an expression of preventing or holding back. Katargumo, like the Targum translates it. Um, which is lo uh, yitmana, which is a very close to the Hebrew mania. Um, and then he says, lo, and he brings a pasuk from Tehillim, which has the same word, yiftsar ruach negidim, the spirit of the um, princes will be held back. And if you look there, um, we're not going to do it, but if you look there, it, it's... it's pretty explicit what it must mean. I'm not sure it's more explicit than here, to be honest, but it's a, maybe it's just another use of the word in the same way. Interestingly, Rashi there in Tehillim references back to this Pasuk here. So he uses one Pasuk to explain the other and then in the other direction as well, which I suppose probably means neither is clearer than the other, I suppose, as I say it, but they, they sh- each shed light, sheds light on the other. Yes? Could it... Instead of being that Rashi couldn't read it the the the, the, the way, I guess, because of um, of limiting God's power, because nothing here says that God can't can't withhold them. It just says He won't. But could it, it, well, it's worse than that. It won't be. It, it won't be held yeah, back. But could Rashi be reading it differently because God does hold them back? And otherwise, then it just wouldn't make sense. That yes. I, I won't hold them back, and then two seconds later, He holds them back. I suppose that's true. That two pesukim later, he holds them back. So it can't mean Hashem is saying, I can't hold them back. But I still think I'm right. Because I think it would be a bigger problem for Hashem to say, I can't hold them back. It's too late. But is it saying that, that he can't hold them back? Ata. Lo, the other way of reading it would be ata. Now, based on what's happened, we've got to the point, lo yibat They cannot be stopped from everything they want to do. So, Pasuk Zion, what does Hashem say? Hava. Nerda, I'll leave Hava untranslated for a moment. Nerda. Well, um, I should leave these untranslated as well because Rashi's going to explain it, but I will. Otherwise, we won't get anywhere. Nerda. We will descend the Navla and we will confuse Sham, their Safatam, their languages. Where each person will not listen or understand the language of their fellow. So Rashi says, Hava Nerda. Bet Dino Nimlach, he consulted with his Bet Din, because of his humility, his extra humility. 
So, what's he Rashi explaining? What's Rashi explaining? The plural. Why does it have to be in plural? Hashem is going to do it all by himself. So why does it say, we will descend? And the answer is, because when Hashem does something um, very important, because of his humility, whatever that means in Hashem's terms, he takes counsel with his bet din. Have we ever heard this phrase before, this idea before? A very well-known pasuk. Exactly. What's the, what's the beginning? Uh, Nasa Adam. Let us make man. And what did Rashi say there? Perak Aleph Pasuk Kafvav. Rashi said exactly the same thing. And I'm not going to try and pronounce that word again. But because of the humility of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. So why does he have to repeat it here if it's the same? Why does the Torah have to repeat it? And why does Rashi have to repeat it? So perhaps Rashi repeats it because there's a very big difference between what Hashem was doing there and what Hashem is doing here. Hashem was doing there something great for mankind, i.e. creating him. But what's Hashem doing here? Punishing mankind. So you might have a havamini. You might think that when Hashem creates man, he consults with his bet din, but he doesn't need to involve his bet din or doesn't choose to involve his bet din in punishing but now, when it comes to punishing, it turns out he does involve his bet din. So the Pasuk tells us that with the use of the plural. Nerda, we will go down. Vanavla, and we will confuse their languages. Then Rashi says on the word, Hava. Says Rashi, Mida keneged Mida. This is a punishment matching the crime. Haim Omru, Hava Nivne. They said in Pasuk Dalad, Havra Nivne, we will build. Vehu Kenegdam, Medad, Amar, he measures against them and he says, Hava Nerda. Why does Rashi have to say this? Because what did Hava mean in Pasuk Dalit? Rashi actually expounded at some length, what, well, a few lines, what Rashi meant in what Hava meant in Pasuk Dalit. Invitation. Not quite. It's close. Do something? Well, you're looking at the word hizminu, maybe. Yes, I, it was the other word I remember. Okay, so we say hasmana as an invitation, but that's literally not, that's not actually the actual essence of the word. To request? No. Get yourselves ready. Yes, to prepare, to get ready. Prepare yourselves. And that's how he understood hava. And Rashi, well, I spent three lines in my book explaining that hava means prepare yourselves. What's the problem with that, with the use of the word in this, in, in Pasuk Zion? Hashem cannot be saying, prepare yourselves. Now, you know, even if he's talking to his Bet Din, if you think he's still saying, this is including the words of the Bet Din, I suppose it would be, because it's followed by Nerda, we will descend. But it doesn't make any sense for Hashem to be saying to his heavenly host, prepare yourselves. In other words, the way it was used in Pasuk Dalad cannot be um, extrapolated to the way it's used in Pasuk Zion. So Rashi says that's not why it's being used. It's not used to mean the same thing. He, that Rashi gives a completely different explanation of why it's used. It doesn't mean prepare yourself. It's just used Davka to match up with the, phrase, the way it was used in Pasuk Talad. They, before they sin, said Hava. So Hashem, before he punishes them, says Hava. But what Rashi is really saying is it doesn't mean prepare yourselves. Because it can't mean that in relation to HaKadosh Baruch Then he says, Venavla. Says he translates it as nebarbel, we will confuse. Uh, and I think what he's just doing there is just translating it into a word that we're more familiar with. Usually the word as uh, 
is, is a doubled root, bet lamad, bet lamad. Here it's only got a single root, but we're more used to seeing it as a doubled root, so he tells us it means the nabal bel. And then he says, nun mishameish balashan rabim. The nun is a, a plural. The hahei achrona yetera. And the hey at the end is extra. Kahei shall nerda. Like the hey of nerda. Now let's take those two grammatical points one by one. Um, the nun at the beginning. He's telling you it's plural. What else could it mean? Bit of, bit of grammar. Future. Well, it is, it's plural future. future. We will go down. What else a nun at the beginning of a verb um, is? Exactly, it could be nifal. You could read. I'm not sure of the exact form of the binyan that it might, you might think it is, but if you see a nun at the beginning of a verb, you might think it's nifal, it's passive. So, nevala means it will be uh, confused. So, Rashi's telling you it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean it will be confused. Uh, it means we will confuse. And what about the hey yatera? What does it mean the hey is yatera? It means it's superfluous in the sense it doesn't have a grammatical meaning. It's just there, if I could say, I hope I can say this, for stylistic effect, but it's not to be translated. What, if you have a hey at the end, which is to be translated, what do you think it means? It could be, but it's an object. It means it. Right? We will confuse it. That's how you'd normally read it. We will confuse it. A hey at the end. Now, why? If you look at the pasuk, why can't it mean we will confuse it? No. No, it could be we at the beginning. The nun at the beginning is we. Confusing the people. It, well, yeah, but there's another reason. What is confused? Look at the puzzle. The languages. If we're looking for an object to navla, we've got it in Sifatam. That is the object of navla. So it wouldn't make sense to say, we will confuse it, their languages. That doesn't make sense. So therefore, that hey doesn't mean we will confuse it. It doesn't mean anything at all. Now, what's very interesting is he compares it to nerda. Now, a general rule in Rashi, as in everywhere else, if you want to prove something about A by comparing it to B, that must mean that B is more obvious than A. Otherwise, there's no point in comparing A to B. So he says the hay at the end of navla is yetera, just like the hay at the end of nerda. Now, why is the hay at the end of nerda more obviously superfluous or meaningless? Or untranslatable. Because what? Because sending to? Well, close. Because, okay, I don't know how well good your grammar is. I'm of a previous generation and I learned Latin. So I know quite a bit about grammar. Um, and confuse, here's the point. See if you get this. I hope you get this. Confuse is a transitive verb, but go down is an intransitive verb. Is anyone with me? Anyone on the same page? Anyone the same century as me? Okay. Tra- intransitive means it doesn't have an object. You don't go down against something. I mean, you go down a mountain, but that's what it means. It means you don't go down their languages. That, that doesn't happen. I go down. I don't... Um, the problem is I go down a mountain, so you might think that's the object, but that's not what the object is. Um, whereas I confuse... You can say I confuse it. That's fine. But you can't say I go down it. Except unless it meant going down the mountain, which it doesn't. <laughs> I go down and the object of my going down is a thing. That doesn't make sense. In that way, going down is an tr- intransitive verb. It doesn't take an object. Okay, so given that none of you understood that, and given that half of you were educated in a very good school, and the other half were educated in good schools, um, I regret the 
um, uh, lack of teaching of grammar in our schools today. But it's, I suppose, not your fault. I suppose it's <laughs> mine. Okay. Um, anyway, that's the point. Nerda is intransitive. So it can't take an object anyway. So the hey at the end cannot mean it. It must be untranslated. And that's why Rashi compares the hey at the end of Navla, which you might think we will confuse it, but it's not, with the hey at the end of Nerda, which obviously is not translatable. Okay. Then Rashi comments on lo yishma'u. And he gives a very graphic illustration of what happens when people don't understand each other. Zer shoel lavana. This one asks for a brick. Vzer mevitit. And this one brings plaster. Because he doesn't understand the word brick. Vzer omed. And the first one, omed olav, stands up against him. Upodsea et mocho. And smashes his skull. You know that? You know, when you ask somebody to bring you a glass of water and by mistake they bring you the wrong thing, you smash their skull. That's what Rashi says happens. Why does Rashi need to say that? The Pasuk says they don't understand each other's language. So, first of all, I think it's pretty obvious what that means. Do we need any explanation of Rashi? Apparently, yes. And Rashi adds that because of this lack of understanding... He doesn't say, well, unfortunately, you ask for bricks. I mean, they need bricks, but they get plaster, and therefore they can't build because they need the bricks. Rashi doesn't say that. He says they ask for bricks, and they get plaster, and they end up smashing each other's skulls. And the answer, perhaps, is because, well, you can ask about what's gone before, and you can certainly ask in relation to what's about to be read in Pasuk Chet. What is Hashem planning to do? What's Hashem's desire? Frustrate them. Frustrate them, to stop them building. And you can also say, if you look at Pasachet, Vayifetz Hashem Otam Misham. Hashem scattered them from there. Now, how did he do that? It doesn't mean that in addition to confusing their languages, he also pushed them around. No, because he confused their languages, they scattered. So what's the missing, what link is missing? Why does confused languages means they scatter? After all, if you meet somebody and you don't speak their language, you might actually learn their language, you might become friends. You wouldn't necessarily scatter and never work together on any project. So somehow, the fact that they now speak different languages is the reason that they scatter. Yes, exactly. So Russia has to explain why the lack of comprehension of each other's language leads to dispersal. Because you can have two people trying to talk to each other Yeah, but and if they stare confused at the other person, well, you know, you might end up in sort of a neutral zone where yeah. nothing much happens, or probably they'll try and learn each other's languages, or they communicate by gestures or something. So being confused about languages isn't inherently a reason neither to stop building the tower, but particularly it's not a reason to be scattered. And yet we see for the next Pasuk, it is a reason to be scattered. So there must be some consequence of the lack of linguistic... Comp- um, 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 a commonality that leads to being scattered. And that's what Rashi has spelled out, spelled out. When one guy um, smashes the other's skull, we've, we, we, we see that the communities are not going to stay in some sort of equilibrium. Yes? Um, just a question about grammar. And, right? um, seemingly then, Rashi is saying or proposing that um, they scattered it as a like, passive way of Hashem changing their languages. Yet the grammar is active. Is it suddenly that's a... 
Yeah, yeah, it's, it's an actor, it's a cull, okay? Um, you're right, in the next part, you're looking at the Yafetz Hashem Otam. Hashem scattered them. And I'm saying that wasn't a result of an active act. And I'm saying that because there is no mention of any further stage of the process. I, I hear your question. It's a, it's a good It's a reasonable question of what I've said. But I think the way we read it, and I think the way Rashi is reading it, is uh, Pasuk Chet is, if you like, a summary of the consequence of Pasuk Zion without an additional action. And I think if there had been another stage to the process, then Hashem would, it would have been spelt out. I, it also occurs to me, just a moment, if there was going to be an active act of dispersal, then we don't even need the language bit. We could have just said, Hashem, push them around. But because the focus was on the confusing of the language, that reads Rashi is how Hashem dispersed them. But then, why again, then, why does the Dovkid say by Yafetz and not the Nifat? Okay, so I think the answer, that I, I, yeah, I mean, maybe based on what we're saying, it could have said they were scattered. But I think the answer is, the Torah is telling us that because Hashem confused their languages, Hashem caused their scattering. Again, and we come back to the same point that Rashi fills in the missing link. Yes? Aren't, uh, aren't languages and scattering, don't they go hand in hand? I mean, like, language is inherently geographic. You well, the world, everyone separates themselves as a language. And I think the example you gave of if I walk up to you and we speak different languages and I'll try and learn your language and you'll try and learn mine and we'll work together, that only happens in a perfect world and you need two very patient people. I think most of the time that probably wouldn't happen. I don't know. Um, I don't know. We, we can speculate. I, what I'm trying to say is, I think Rashi is saying that um, different languages doesn't inherently um, force people to separate and doesn't force people to stop building a tower. And this did. It, it, it resulted in this complete separation. Uh, again, I hear your question. You're saying that, you know, uh, language is geographic. People separate by... Uh, in, languages separate people into geography. I actually think probably historically it's the other way around. Geography separates people right. into languages. Right. Um, even still, without communication, I mean, if you take away the language, of course the tower can't be built. Okay, so, okay, so I, I, let me just conclude by saying, I hear the question, I think Rashi's saying, you do need more than that. Rashi's saying right. there was an element of the process to make the dispersal um, essential, or to make the dispersal I- inevitable. Yeah. Whereas, you know, as I said, if you have two people learning to understand each other's language, the fact that they will disperse is not inevitable. If we can agree, you would say it's likely, and I'll agree it's likely, but it's not inevitable. Once they start smashing each other's skulls, then I think we've, you know, we've lost the chance of cooperation. Yes? Kazim, uh, I thought Yishmael meant, like, listen or hear. Ah. Could the punishment not have been that they no longer wanted to listen to one another as opposed to it being a difference in language? And that, then Rashi doesn't need any explanation, because as soon as they don't want to listen to one another, then obviously there's going to be a disintegration. And why you're saying, so Yishmael means they didn't want to listen to well, each they, other. The punishment was that they no longer listened to one another. Not that there was a difference in language. Um, well, the previous line said, Vanavla Sham Safatam. So their languages got confused. So we know something happened with the languages. Does that answer your question? Kind of, but then the emphasis is on the fact that, as you said, you can find a way around that. You can find a way to communicate whether you wanted a brick or some cement. Right. That's quite easy to find, but... But if you don't want to listen to what the other person's requesting or respond to their request, then, then that's real punishment. Okay. Uh, you touch on an interesting topic, which is Shema sometimes means listen and sometimes means understand. Um, and Rashi actually talks about that also in 
um, in Vayeshev, similar to, close to the passage we read this morning, when the brothers listen to Yehuda, and Rashi makes the point that listening can be accepting what they said. Um, here, uh, I, I, I wonder if Hashem would have, could have taken away their free will to, force, to make them not listen to each other, because that's really a, um, something that people should have the chirat hafshit over. That's number one. And number two, uh, I think I'll counter your point because the Pasuk says explicitly, but it mixed up their languages, and that precedes lo yishmo yishu They couldn't, uh, if you want to say they chose not to listen to the language of each other, it does, it, it emphasizes language in two places in that Pasuk. Okay, you're waiting to say something, and then we must get on. I maybe answer it myself. I'll ask it anyway. The languages are split up, and then Vayafet Hashem Oisam Misham. Yes. Then Hashem disperses them. Yes. And He muddles up languages and then disperses them. So the whole not the languages, the, the the lack of understanding the languages that therefore so, disperses them. It's Hashem who then goes and disperses them. So that that's pretty much Jacob's question. Yeah, it's still bothering me. And, and I'm saying that the way Rashi explains it, it's not a separate act. It's a consequence yeah. of the language. Yeah. Okay, so with permission, I think we'll move on because we haven't got very far. Um, we've spent a long time discussing this. Maybe we can discuss offline, as they say. Let's move to Basaket. Vayafet Hashem Otam Misham. Hashem dispersed them or scattered them from there, al Penei over the face of all the earth. Vayachdalu Livnot Ha'ir. And they ceased to build the city. So Rashi says, In this world. Now when it says in this world, what are you expecting some reference to or contrast with? Olam Haba. So just hold that thought. He says this world because there's a reason he's going to contrast that with Olam Haba. And then he says, Masha Amru Pen Nafots Nitkayam Alehem. Regarding what they said, lest we be scattered, that was in Pasuk Dalot, they said, And that was, they said, lest we, we're going to build this tower, lest we be scattered on the face of all the earth. And look what happened. The same words. So Rashi says, what they said, what they feared to happen was fulfilled on them. And that is what Shlomo said in Mishlei, what the Russia is afraid of, it comes to him. Why does Rashi have to use a posset from Mishlei to tell us this aphorism that what wicked people want to avoid happening ends up happening? I guess it's because it's very clearly that's precisely what happened in this case, word for word. The comparison of Pasuk Dalad to Pasuk Chet, Pen Nafutz, Vayifetz, Alpenei Kala Aretz, Alpenei Kala Aretz, is rubbing in how what they feared would happen and what they actually took steps to avoid happening, i.e. that's why they built the city and the tower, is what then Hashem arranged to happen to them. Yes. And it was the last one we spoke about it. They, they, the one that was scared about Rashi says was a plague. I don't know if this is what is this, is this a form of plague. I don't know. Uh, okay, I, I don't really have a good answer. There. Last week I talked about how this is one of those sins which people did, which is not explained, and therefore the Mephorshim go to town on giving us the reasons behind it. 
Uh, two other examples. Anyone remember from last week? No. Nadav and Avihu and Moshe hating the rock. In both cases, it's not really clear what they did wrong. So the Mephoshim have uh, quite a lot to say. Now here, Rashi says, hidden in Pasuk Aleph is their motivation. Now there's a slight problem with that, and I haven't got an answer to this. Because in Pasuk Dalet, they tell us what their motivation is. They don't want to be scattered. So why in Russia does Rashi and Pasuk Aleph have to say they wanted to fight against the Kaddish Baruch or they wanted to avoid another flood? I'm not entirely sure. I've got a vague idea, but I'm not entirely sure. Um, so, but Rashi, e- even if their original intention, as, is, as Rashi said in Pasuk Aleph, and he gave three different answers, and they're all in different ways sort of trying to outwit HaKadosh Baruch Hu, nevertheless in Pasuk Dalad, we also get a very explicit statement of what they don't want to happen. So maybe it's not their main motivation. Maybe they were planning something worse than that, fighting against Hashem. But nevertheless, it's clear in Pasuk Dalad, they said explicitly what we didn't want to happen. And in Pasuk Zion, that did, sorry, Pasuk Het, that did happen. Okay. Uh, Rashi says, we've done the first bit. In fact, we've done the whole of Rashi on Pasuk Chet. So now we'll do Pasuk Tet. And this is quite exciting because, oh no, Pasuk Yud is the very end of this story. And then we jump to the very end of Noah. Okay, Pasuk Tet. Al-Kain Karashamo Bavel. Therefore, its name is called Bavel. Kisham Balal Hashem Safat Kala Aretz. Because there Hashem confused um, the language of all the earth. And from there he scattered them, Hashem, Hashem scattered them, on the face of all the earth, again. So Rashi says, um, This teaches, They do not have a punishment, sorry, they don't have a share in the world to come. In other words, they lose their Olam Haba. And the Gemara, the Mishnah in Sanhedrin lists various people and groups of people who lose Olam Haba. And the Dor Hapalaga, the generation of the dispersal, is one of those groups of people. How does Rashi know that they lost, they were scattered in Olam Hazar and they lost Olam Haba? We just the last possible in this world that they were dispersed or something? Yeah, you're on the right lines. But... It said something. What it, it, said twice. it said it twice. That's right. So that's why it says in Chet, and in Tet, it said, Almost the same thing. Not quite the same grammatical form, but essentially the same thing. Why do we have to hear it twice? And that's why Rashi in Chet said, they were dispersed for Olam Hazer. And when the next time we read that Hashem scattered them, that means they lost the Olam Haba. So Rashi is explaining the repetition of Misham Hefitzam, which we've already heard about in Pasuk Chet. And that's why Olam Hazer and Olam Haba come into it. And then Rashi gives us a little bit of a, a thought to think about. And he says, uh, continuing in Pasuk Tet, kasha, which is worse, Shaldor Hamabol or Shaldor Hapalaga, the generation of the flood or the generation of the dispersal? Elu lo pashtu yad ikar. Those ones did not stretch forth their hand against the main thing. And they, these ones, did stretch their hand against the main thing. What does it mean? Who's these and who's these? And who was stretching their hand against the main thing? Against God. Against God. In fact, that's the next words in Rashi. As if to fight him. You can't really fight Hashem. That's absurd. But as if to fight him. So... 
the first, the generation of the flood did not fight against or plan to fight against HaKadosh Baruch Hu. They didn't build a tower to fight against him in heaven. But the generation of the dispersal did fight against Hashem. So when he says, which one do you think is worse? What's, what, which answer is he sort of pushing you towards? The second, the people who built the tower. They were fighting against God. But yet, for Elu Nishtafu, these ones were swept away in the water. For Elu Lona Avdum in Ha'olam. And these ones were not destroyed from the world. So you get the question? Who's these and these now? The generation of the flood, which is not so bad because they didn't fight against Hashem, they get drowned. Uh, worst punishment, and the ones in the generation of the flood, all right, so they have to go to school to learn somebody else's language, never, but they don't get drowned. Why does Rashi say, by the way, that they, why doesn't Rashi balance it by saying these ones got drowned and these ones didn't get drowned? Because Hashem promised there'd never be another flood. So there was no question of the generation of dispersal getting drowned. That was never going to happen. But you might think they're going to be destroyed in some other way. So that's why Rashi says they weren't They weren't lost from the world. But notice that, that, that lack of symmetry is significant. Because normally Rashi would say these ones were drowned and these ones were not drowned. Okay, so what's the answer? Why does the generation who built the flood live? Now notice, by the way, they live but not forever. What do I mean? They're mortal. No, no. They don't get Olam Haba. So that's been established. They don't get Olam Haba. But nevertheless, they still don't die straight away. So they're still better off in terms of punishment. Even though they don't get Olam Haba, it's still nice for them that they're not drowned like the generation of the flood. And here's the answer. The generation of the flood were thieves. They were stealing from each other, as Hashem said at the beginning, at the very beginning of the Pasha. Um, uh, the world was full of Hamas, which means violence, which means robbery with violence. The Haita and there was arguments between them. and that's why they were wiped out. For Elu and these other ones, they had love and friendship between them. as it said at the very beginning, one language and well, Rashi gave three explanations for Devar Machadim, but now he's saying it's simply shared words. This tells you how hated is dispute and how great is peace. So Rashi's giving a little homily, which is not Rashi's style. We've learned a lot of Rashi up to now. It's very rare that he gives a little sermon. Why is he giving a little sermon? I suppose, I don't really have a brilliant answer to this, but I suppose because you might be bothered by this question. Because the Pasuk stresses, he's commenting on Pasuk Tet, and it stresses that he scattered them. And when you see he scattered them, you might ask, why doesn't he destroy them? And Hashem, throughout this book, does destroy groups of people from time to time. It's not completely unknown in the Chumash. Why doesn't he destroy them? And you might think they're worse than the generation of the flood. And Rashi feels the need to answer that by telling you that they weren't destroyed because they were united. And he gives us a reference back to the beginning of the parak, which describes these people. The very characteristic is a sense of unity. Okay, that concludes Rashi there. And then, in fact, that's the end of the story of Migdal Babel. The whole story, which is so critical to the future of the world, and uh, in a sense what happens next is a reaction against 
Migdal Bavar. And I told you last week that uh, the, uh, the Rambam says that uh, Abraham discovered God when he was 48, which turns out to be, according to Rashi, the very year in which the tower was built. And, and one, it's not too hard to say that Hashem selecting Abraham was a reaction to the failure of this generation. Rashi doesn't say that, but, but others do. So it's a very, very important event in human history, and it takes up nine pasukim, and then it's finished. And then we read in Pasuk Yud. Hey, slightly separate, but do you think it's interesting that Amistral were dispersed to Babel? Because Babel's this idea of this dispersion? Um, there, there is an idea that out of this confusion came something wonderful. What came out of Babel? The Talmud Bavli. And the Talmud Bavli is like unifying all the dispersal, all, all, all the disparate elements that were there. That's the nature of the Gemara. It, it brings things together. And, and, and I have seen some discussion on that. But let's stick to Rashi. He doesn't say that. Okay. Pasuk Yud. Eila told Shem. So we now have finished that story. And we're now going through the generations from Shem, which is going down to Abraham. Actually, we're going to start... Well, you'll see in a moment when the next Toldot start. It's not quite Avraham. But we'll start with the Toldot Shem. Um, uh, Rashi doesn't really talk about this, but another time we could uh, discuss um, the times in Beratia where it says, Ela Toldot this, Ela Toldot that. It does it in different ways and means slightly different things. We started with Ela Toldot Noach. That was the very beginning of this parasha. Now we're on Ela Toldot Shem. And it says, Shem ben Meat Shana, Shem was a hundred years, for Yoled et Arpachshad, and he begat Arpachshad, Shanatayim Achar Hamabul, two years after the Mabul. Rashi says, Shem ben Meat Shana, Kersha Holid et Arpachshad, when he bore or begat Arpachshad, Shanatayim Achar Hamabul, which was two years after the Mabul. In other words, he was a hundred two years after the Mabul, when he had his son, which meant at the time of the flood, he was 98. What's Rashi doing? I think we can answer this quite simply. Rashi is refuting an alternative way of understanding the verse. What's the alternative way? That he was 102. So how do you understand that? How would that be understanding the verse? Okay, the alternative way of reading the verse, it refers to two events. Event number one, uh, Shem was, was 100. Event number two, two years later, he had Apachshad, when he was 102. And Rashi is telling you that he was 100, Kersha Holid et Apachshad. What's he doing? He's joining together the two halves of the sentence and saying they are one thing. Uh, even though the sentence essentially has a comma in it, um, it's an Esnachta under Apachshad, which is like a comma. Rashi deliberately merges the two parts of the sentence to say they are referring to the same thing. And that fits with Rashi saying, we talked about this earlier this evening, that at the time of the flood, the three sons of Nach were all under the age of 100. Or uh, the, the oldest one, Rashi says, Yafet, would have been in his 100th year, but he wasn't like over 100. Um, and if Shem had been 100 at the time of the Mabul, and Shem wasn't the oldest, we've already proved that, so Yafet would have been older than 100, which, which contradicts what Rashi said earlier. So it has to be that Shem is 98 at the time of the flood and 100 two years later. So it has to be that these two things referred to in this pasuk are the same thing, and Rashi spells that out. Yes? Really, I guess, interesting question I haven't thought before, though, but how do they measure years? 
Why not 365 days? Well, the Torah lists their ages. So the Torah certainly could measure their ages. Does that mean they knew their ages? Is it possible that they didn't know how old they were because they weren't that sophisticated? But the Torah, which obviously knows everything, did? It's possible, I suppose. So maybe we know that... Shem was 100, but Shem didn't know. It's possible. But I think it's equally possible that they did have enough um, knowledge of the seasons. The ancient Egyptians knew the calendar was 365 days a long, long time ago, before the Romans even. Um, so I think it's quite possible they knew that. Okay? Of course, it's 365 days and a quarter, which is quite appropriate to say this weekend, because yesterday was the compensatory day. Anyway, um, now then we're going to miss out lots of Pesukim. Because we now list nine generations from Shem all the way down to Terach. And Terach is born in Pasuk Kafdalut. Um, and his father is dispensed with in Pasuk Kaf A. And then we read in Pasuk Kaf Vav, Vayhi Terach Shivim Shana. Terach was 70 years old. Vayoled et Avram et Nachor et Haran. And this is where Jewish history begins, with the first mention of Abraham Avinu. And in a sense, everything up till now has been leading up to this point. And then it says in Kav Zion, the Eila Toldot Terach. Interesting, huh? We've seen at the beginning of the parasha Toldot Noach. We just saw Toldot Shem. Now it's Toldot Terach. What did Terach do? Terach holid et Avram et Nachar et Haran. The Haran holid et Lot. And then it says, um, sorry, I should translate, that Terach, even though we've just been told in Kafvav that Terach had three sons, but that was sort of in the form of the previous 25 verses. Now we're starting a new story. And when we start the new story, the, the essence of the story is that Terach had these children, Nachor, Abraham, Nachor, and Haran. By the way, Nachor and Haran also come into the story of the Jewish people. Why? Who was, why is Nachor relevant to the future story of the Jewish people? Correct, because he's the grandfather of Rivka and the great-grandfather of Rachel and Leah. And then Sarah comes. Ah, well, Sarah will, so we'll, we'll let Sarah introduce herself, because Rashi's going to help us with that. But Sarah comes in, not from Nachor, not from Avram, that only leaves one. But Nachor is part of the story. Um, and that's why Toldot Terach, which leads to us, essentially, and introduces the next part of the Chumash, does mention not just Avram, but Nachor and Haran as well. The Haran holid et Lot. And Haran had a son called Lot. And let's just read Kavchet, and then we'll leave Rashi on Kavchet till next week. Kavchet says, Vayamat Haran. Haran died al penei terech aviv. On the face of, or in the face of, Terach, his father. Rashi's going to explain that phrase. The Eretz Moladato, in the land of his birthplace, the Ur Kastim. And Rashi's going to explain Ur Kastim as well. So that will be part of Kafret. We will do that in Yemitz Hashem next week. Does it mean that Haran Yes. But Rashi tells us that's what it means. So you don't need to come to Shia next week. And Rashi tells us why he died while Terach was still alive. Uh,